Well, amen. It's good to see some smiling faces I have not seen in a while. Uh, even being out a week of this body feels like a lifetime, and some of the other faces I'm getting to see as I'm standing here are a pleasure to see. Uh, if I haven't met you, for some of you, my name is uh, Kyle. I have the joy of being one of our pastors here. Uh, be finding your way to John, John chapter 1, 29 through 34 will be our text this morning. We will be in John for a while. Hopefully your Bible starts to just fall open to John over the next couple of weeks as you're spending more and more time in it yourself. would encourage you in your own private study and worship to go ahead and be familiarizing yourself with John so you're coming into worship prepared to hear what the Lord is going to teach us as a church body. As you're turning there, uh, a thought came to my mind this week is we can't help but speak about what we see. More so, we can't help but speak about what captivates our attentions and retains our affections. Yesterday was a day that uh, is a solemn day that we got to remember something that many of us saw and impacted us deeply with 9-11. Now, as I'm looking at the majority makeup of this room, many of you were not alive or were too young to remember what happened. And it's very evident before those that lived and walked through it, you get asked that question often, where were you when it happened? You can't help but speak of it. You get to see on social media people sharing posts of what they remember, what they felt that day. They can't help but speak of what they saw. Many of you did not see, therefore you do not speak and hear of that. But you do speak and you do uh, bear witness to many things that you see that captivate your attention, that grasp your affection. This is why Instagram even exists. There's countless sunsets, pictures of oceans, My personal favorite, puppies. Yes, it's a very good stress reliever. And uh, babies. You see pictures all the time on social media of what you see, you bear witness to, you speak of. Our body does this. If you've been in this church body for long enough, you know if you talk to Pastor Brian for more than two seconds, what is he going to bring up? The Cowboys. As we were solemnly putting together the Lord's table together this morning, it came up. I didn't even have to bring it up. If you're around Brad Parr for more than a minute, he's not here this morning, so maybe I feel like I'm picking on him a little bit, but you know what's going to come up, the Boys and Girls Club. You know if you are around Kyle Cole for more than three seconds, he's going to sing some country song. (laughs) The truth of the matter is what we see, what captivates us, we can't help but speak of. It's no different in the early church. What the early church saw in Christ, they spoke of and they spoke of boldly. In Acts 2, the recounting of Pentecost of the Holy Spirit coming, the disciples were timid and fearful in the upper room, but as the Holy Spirit came upon them, in Acts chapter 3, They went out boldly. And then we read this in Acts 4, 19 through 20. But Peter and John 
Answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. If there would be a more poignant verse in all of scripture to describe our life, man, I don't know what else could be. We as believers of seeing Christ his effectual work in our life, his grace in our constant failures, his love for us when we can't even stand the sight of ourselves in a mirror. We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and we do so boldly as the church. Indeed, what catches your eye captures your heart and will open your mouth. I believe Our verses this morning will reveal that truth. As you are looking in your bulletin this morning, I believe it reveals this singular truth. Beholding Christ births bold gospel witness. If you desire to be more bold in your gospel witness, not a self-manufactured boldness, but a You can't contain it. The gospel is bursting forth from your very bones. The only way to have that, believer, is to behold Christ. Father, would you empower us this morning by your spirit, for your namesake, for your glory, to see you. Yes, Father, we pray perhaps for some in this room for the very first time to see you as King Christ. For those of us that have seen you by your your doing of opening up our hearts and minds, it's our prayer that we would see you all the more as beautiful, as our Lord, as our God. Would you remove any distractions, Father? from you receiving all glory and honor that you are so due this morning through your word. Would you teach us? Would you be our teacher? Would you apply these truths to our hearts that we would go out in a bold gospel witness to every avenue and venue of our life to boldly share your gospel, your good news, your work, your redemption, your grace. So, Father, we pray and ask all these things according to your will and for your glory alone. Amen. As we are looking into our text this morning, a bit of catch-up. If you don't remember, if you haven't been here, we have just finished through, really, the doctrinal introduction to the Gospel of John, where we get to see that Christ is God. We were introduced to John the Baptist, one of of, I think, my favorite, and I I believe Pastor Bailey said this last week, one of his favorite biblical characters, not just because we share the name Baptist, but because he was exactly who he was. No apologies. He was bold, and he was a man sent by God. We were picking up on his testimony of John the Baptist of who Christ was. Last week, Pastor Bailey taught us about faithful Christian living, And it begins with us knowing who Christ is and knowing who we are and what we are to do in light of that. 
we pick up on that truth today in this gospel witness. What we must do first and foremost to have this gospel witness is to behold. Behold, we'll see this in verses 29 through 30, that Christ was the perfect propitiation. Join me in the reading of God's word. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John speaking here to his disciples. It's not mentioned here in the text as you look at the synoptic gospels. He is speaking to the disciples, those that were following him. And he says, behold, a word that it's an imperative interjection. He is demanding that they do something. Stop what you're doing. I need your attention. Behold that there is one coming that is far greater than me. Not only is he greater than me, he is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. The reference here to the Lamb of God is the reference to the Passover Lamb, the prophesied Lamb that would come, the Messiah, to save Israel, to save us as the children of God from our sins. Isaiah 53, 5-7 is in mind here. Isaiah spoke this under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. In the sacrificial system, as we taught through Hebrews, we saw a lamb was necessary to be sacrificed, a perfect, spotless lamb to atone for the sins of Israel. In this perfect lamb of Christ coming, the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice, all other lambs, We're pointing towards this lamb. Christ beckons you to behold this morning. More than that, he demands of you to behold him. He is the perfect propitiation. He satisfied God's wrath on your behalf. Why must we behold this truth every single day? Why must we behold the propitiation of Christ to remember that you are forgiven, Christian? I know so often as I fall short of the glory of God and I think to myself so often, God, why do you love such a sinful man? Have you been there? Have you thought of your deepest sin and looked at the holiness of God, the perfection of that spotless lamb and say, why? It's to remember that he saved you when you did not deserve it. To remember that you are forgiven because a sinless savior died, your and my Sinful soul is counted free because God, the just, looked on him and pardoned me. I pray that we would behold that truth all the more this morning. 
if that is lost on you this morning, like it's so easily lost on me, that God looked upon Christ, his perfect son, and poured out all of his wrath, and pardoned me, made me just. Propitiation is something that you need, I need to behold all the more. But why else? Why else behold this Lamb of God that was sent? Why behold this propitiation, the one that's coming to take away the sins of the children of God? To motivate your gospel witness. To motivate. If you hope to go and share the gospel boldly, you must see that there's a necessity placed upon your life and that your debt has been paid not in order to just be thankful, but to express your love and gratitude for God by sharing that good news that the wrath of God has been satisfied. Because Christ, the king of the universe, took on human flesh and bore a cross that was due sinful men and women like you and I. And there is hope and grace found at the foot of the cross. That wrath has been satisfied. Many of you, I have the joy as your pastor of saying that you behold Christ so well. In conversations that I have with you, you can't help but bring up Christ. You're constantly thinking about Christ. I would encourage you to continue to do so. But how do you foster that beholding Christ? If that's you, if you're continually doing that, or if that's not you, how do you foster that beholding? I would encourage you more time in the word. This is training your taste buds. If you hope to savor the goodness of Christ, delight yourself in the Lord. Yes, it may seem like a paradox that if you hope to behold Christ more, you behold Christ more. I would argue not a paradox, but a simplistic truth. Beholding Christ is done through beholding him through his word. It is a beautiful gift given to us that we may see Christ for who he is, that we may know him fully and truly, not according to the whims and the emotions of our life or the dictation of the world of what they impress upon Christ, but who he says that he is. You want to foster more beholding of Christ? I would encourage you to spend more time on mission. Not as a simple go and share the gospel and to go and do good things or to uh, be charitable to others or to even just share the gospel. But the reason why you live on mission is because in that, you will see your need for Christ. The more you seek to share the gospel, the more you will see that you need to know more about this Christ, your king of whom you are sharing. You'll feel your deficiencies as you stumble through a gospel presentation. You'll feel your deep dependence and need upon the Holy Spirit and those will drive you back to beholding your God. It's a mirror held up in front of you as you live on mission because you go out with what you have, what you've been equipped with and you see your shortcomings so beautifully in living on mission and God's grace all the more there to catch you 
and to motivate you all the more. As you foster that beholding of Christ, as you seek to do more, I would encourage you, spend more time in fellowship in this church body. That causes you to savor grace. Those sitting around you right now, as you behold their goodness to you, their faithful affection for you, their true counsel, you are experiencing the love of Christ through the bride of Christ. If you want to get to know me more, spend more time with my bride. You get to see my shortcomings. You get to see perhaps what I believe on politics, what I believe about the Lord. Just don't take her favorite sports team as Alabama as my preference. The Bulldogs had a good day yesterday. But the more you spend time with the bride of Christ, the more you get to see the bride of Christ revealing their bridegroom. Finally, as you seek to foster more of that intentional beholding of Christ, spend more time in worship. Spend more time in worship. This is cultivating gratitude in your heart. As we sing and worship through song, as you're sitting under the teaching of God's word, as you come to the table, you are beholding Christ through his proclaimed word, through singing back truth to him, through his sacrifice, through a life of worship. The more you worship God, the more gratitude is built in your heart and you are beholding all you have to thank your God for. As you see, this text is so rich. We could spend a lifetime in just a couple of these verses. And if you guys know me well, I very well could. But secondly, what we see in the text is that Christ is totally transcendent in verse 30. Totally transcendent. This is what we must behold. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John is bearing witness. He is testifying here that after him comes one who ranks before him. Not only in order of hierarchy of importance of the importance of Christ, but also he's acknowledging the transcendency of Christ, that he is eternal, that Christ has always existed in his introduction to this gospel. The Apostle John taught us this truth as well. But Christ is totally transcendent. He would affirm this of himself. We'll see this far off in the future in John chapter 8, but it's too good not to mention here. Jesus affirms this truth. John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He is God. He is all existent. He is transcendent. We must behold the transcendency of our God to birth bold gospel witness. We're called to not only behold this truth of his transcendency to just inform our mind. Friends, there is no truth in scripture that is just a la carte for your mind. Every truth of scripture is to inflame your heart and to move your hands towards worship of God, love for neighbor, and glorifying your Savior in all you say and do. The transcendency of Christ must be beheld. 
in this body, in your life, specifically in our context here to see that it bursts gospel witness, bold gospel witness. Philippians 2, 3. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is exactly what John the Baptist was doing. He was saying, there's one that ranks before me. He is before me. He is saying, as Pastor Bailey taught us last week, rightfully, that he was a humble man. He was confessing of who Christ was and who he was. We must do the same in humility. We must recognize the holy, separate nature of God. We just sang this truth, holy, holy, holy. Why must we behold this truth always as the church of Christ? It, bold, it bursts that bold gospel witness when we see others as more important than ourselves, not only Christ, but when we rightly apply that transcendent truth to count others as more important than ourselves, we have placed ourselves in the right position. Rather, Christ has placed us in the right position to have bold gospel witness. Do you not more boldly and rightly serve others that you know have a higher station and status than you do? This is why, husbands, we serve our brides because we know that they have been entrusted to us by the king of the universe. It's the king of the universe's daughter. This is why we serve others so more diligently based on status and rank. You're, you're not going to just flippantly walk up to the president of the United States and just say, hey, what's up, man? Even how you address them is wholly different. This is why we show honor and reverence to the elderly in our society because they are to be honored and praised for their life of faithfulness. What a pity that we so often fail to live humbly as though Christ is before us. I do this so often. I fail to live as though Christ is before me. And a majority of my relationships, whether it be as a pastor or as a husband, many people look to me for leadership and I fail so often of seeing that it's not them looking to me, but them looking to Christ through me, that Christ is before me. I put undue pressure on myself to love and lead as Christ, all the while forgetting that Christ is before me. We do this as men and women, don't we? Often, we forget that Christ is before us. This is why we think of ourselves too often, too much, too highly. This is why pride is such a sneaky sin. We can even confuse service towards others as humility when it's genuinely just secret pride. We must behold Christ as transcendent before us always. How do you do this in your classroom, students? How do you behold Christ as before you? He bought you with a price. He's your king. He's your Lord. What does he ask of you but to walk humbly, to live justly, and to love your God, to love neighbor? It looks like practically in your classroom, Show honor and reverence to your professor, whether you agree with them or not. It looks like being the one that's working most diligently in that group project. 
you have roommates, it looks like being so bold as to say, hey, I'll cook dinner for us tonight. Very practical, easy, simple ways to put others before us. But we are doing that all the while in mind that we are to be as Augustine, the church father, called the servants of servants. If we are all servants of Christ, we should seek to serve and outdo one another with brotherly honor. We do this in our family, husbands. As we die to ourselves. we stay up late, we wake up early, we work hard, we love our family, we sacrifice. We have that model set before us. Perhaps you may be wondering at this point of the beholding of Christ, of how do you return to beholding Christ if you do so infrequently? if you fail to live your life captivated by the transcendency of Christ, about his propitiation, how do you return to beholding Christ? First, and the most beautiful gift we've been given in this is repentance. Repentance is beholding Christ's grace in forgiveness. Grace in forgiveness. It's simple. Christ, I fail to behold you in every and all circumstance. So, easily distracted about what's on my to-do list of what my comforts are of what I want to do, of all the things that I have desires for, repentance. Secondly, accountability allows you to refocus and re-behold your Christ all the more. This is beholding Christ's grace through brotherly love. This is why DNAs exist. It's an an intentional, at least weekly, refocusing upon Christ. When you have a brother or sister ask you that faithful question, it feels like a bruise, but it's a faithful bruise. How's your time in the Word? How's your time in prayer? When was the last time you got away with God in solitude? That's God's grace in allowing you to behold Him all the more. This is one that I learned this week that I am uh, severely in need of refocusing in. How about spiritual discipline? Spiritual discipline will help you refocus. It's beholding Christ's grace through spiritual formation. Spiritual disciplines as time in the word, solitude, prayer, yes, all of those things, but just discipline with your time, waking up. (laughs) I did not wake up for men's Bible study this week and I saw that I missed a beautiful opportunity to behold Christ this week in fellowship with brothers. We all need help in this refocusing and beholding Christ. You have an opportunity this morning as you come to the Lord's Supper table. It's a weekly opportunity to behold Christ through an ordinary means of grace. This is why we don't forsake the fellowship. You have an opportunity to behold Christ. The truth is we all are called to behold Christ and we know that, but John the Baptist goes even further. That's why I mentioned I love him so much. He's unapologetically demanding of loyalty to Christ. Not only must we behold Christ, but we are beholden to Christ. Verse 31, John the Baptist teaches us this truth. You exist to glorify Christ. You are beholden to the Lamb. You exist to glorify Christ. You are beholden to the Lamb. 
Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I myself did not know him. He did not know who the Lamb of God was. He did not know who the Messiah was previous to this interaction with Christ. But he knew he came for a purpose. The baptizing with water may seem superfluous there. What else would you baptize with? But tuck that away. We'll come back to that here in just a moment. But his purpose, for this purpose, that he might be revealed to Israel. Believer, your purpose in life is to glorify Christ with everything you do, wherever your future takes you, college student. If it is outside Milledgeville, your purpose remains. But hear me say this, family in Milledgeville, college student in Milledgeville, our purpose in Milledgeville now is the same purpose that John the Baptist declared was his purpose. He said that he existed that Christ might be revealed to Israel. Hugh and I have been placed here by the sovereign will and hand of God to make Christ made known and revealed to this city. If Milledgeville, as we got to see last week, was just an apt comparison to the wilderness and that's all it was, we would not be here. As I echo the truths from Pastor Bailey's sermon last week, that our purpose for being here is to have the gospel advanced. Do you believe that truth? Do you believe that you have been placed here by God? That your gospel witness will go and bear fruit? If not, I would argue that's why you lack boldness. Because you're just perhaps a little afraid. Maybe you feel ill-equipped. Many of us feel apathetic at times. But you were placed here to reveal Christ. John the Baptist knew this truth. He knew this truth that Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If we are to glorify God in our body of just how we take care of our body, how much more so with what we do with our body? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. That is, if not the most catch-all verse in all of Scripture. We joke about that is the, the Jesus answer for us as the Branch Church Milledgeville. You could just probably say for God's glory, and you'll be probably pretty close to the answer of being right here at the church, in the Branch Church Milledgeville. But did you catch that, that you were beholden to the Lamb. You see, we were once slaves to our flesh and slaves to sin, but when Christ came, he broke those shackles that were enslaving you to sin, and he graciously chained you to himself, that you are a slave to Christ. And now your affections are not being 
pulled towards something you don't desire anymore, but because the Holy Spirit resides in you, you desire to glorify Christ. And at times when your flesh seems to be winning, thank God that he has enslaved us to him and he will pull us back towards righteousness. We're beholden. We have a debt that's been paid but we have a life debt is what it's known as. In many cultures, if you were to save someone's life, they would literally owe you their life because you saved their life. They would go wherever you go, do whatever you ask them to do because you ransomed them. We are ransomed by Christ and what he beckons us to go and beckons us to do is to make him known. Many of you do this so well. You do this as an opportunity. I see you share on social media. I hear in your conversations. But how do we see ourselves as beholden to Christ? Do you see yourself as beholden to Christ? Were you aware of that previous to this morning? You see, when we behold the life of John the Baptist, make no mistake, we knew his purpose because he saw Christ and he spoke of it. He could not help but do so. He lived his life in a manner beholden to Christ. He lived out in the wilderness. He lived off the land. I'm sure he missed Jerusalem. I'm sure he missed the comforts of a nice bed. I'm sure he missed all of the worldly pleasures, but he was beholden to Christ. When others behold your life, does it reveal Christ? Let's take from the 10,000 foot view. A cursory glance of your life, does it reveal that your life is beholden to Christ? One of my least favorite uh, sayings, I won't even call it a, a Christian quote, is, Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words, because that is not biblical. But make no mistake, people can look at your life and see that there is something different about you. Read Acts chapter 3. When Peter and John went before the council, what was said of them, they could tell that they had been with Christ. Can people look at your life until you have been with Christ. In your speech, does your speech reveal Christ? Are your words an overflow of the abundance of your heart, of your love for God, because he ransomed you, he adopted you, he loves you, he justified you, he's sanctifying you, he's not ashamed of you as a son or a daughter, but he is beckoning you towards life in him. Does your speech reveal that to others? I know if you're anything like me, so often it's convicting to see that our speech more often reveals gossip or slander or pride or self-centeredness. Praise God for his grace that the good work that he began in us will come to completion at the day of Christ. When others behold your life, does it reveal Christ and how you go about your worship? Specifically here, in your worship through money. 
is a sensitive topic for many of us, but one that has been in the process of um, going through the home buying process, one that's often in the forefront of my mind, and one for you guys as college students, you don't have a lot of it, so probably on the forefront of your mind a lot. But even as families of how we spend our money. I was challenged once to look at my bank statement and see how often I spend money just on myself or for advancing the kingdom. I heard a story from Pastor John Piper talking about the life of Charles Wesley and uh, specifically in how he lived in this manner of worship to reveal Christ. In the totality of his life, he lived off the same salary. His ministry grew and grew and grew. He had more income and the English government eventually literally kicked in his doors and came looking for the gold bars that he was hiding in his house because he wasn't paying more taxes. What they found out was true of the man was that he lived off the same meager salary that he once got in his first parish, and the rest of it he had been giving to orphans and widows and the advancement of the gospel and the printing of gospel tracts. Now, I'm not saying that we should all, uh, indicative does not mean implicit, we don't have to live our lives that way, but what a beautiful testimony of looking at a life and it revealing Christ. Finally, I would ask in our work ethic, does it reveal Christ? When people behold us, are we known as the type of people who cut corners, who complain about our work instead of seeing as a, a grace from God? Do we let other, others carry the load while we just sit back? We see being beholden to the Lamb has far-reaching implications, does it not? To every area of our life, because we are beholden to the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain yet stands, the Lamb that took away your sin, you're beholden to live as the Lamb. To see Him as your model. To be thankful for His grace when you fall short and modeling your life after him. If you're anything like me, I hope you don't feel too beat up by that last section. That was necessary truth, I believe, for myself and for each of us to see. But I hope that leaves you asking the question, how then can you leverage your life to reveal Christ? How can you then? College students, reveal Christ in Georgia College. In your papers, in your conversations, in your group projects, reveal Christ, speak of him. Don't be afraid to disagree. Don't be afraid to raise your hand and say, I do not believe that. Don't be afraid to ask a question of saying, why do we believe that? Don't be afraid in your group project to say, I am a believer of Christ and you should come to fam with me. It might just be kiddie pool kickball tonight, but there's a great avenue of fellowship here and if you have questions about who Christ is and why I believe what I believe man come hang out have fun and hear biblical truth college students I would encourage you to stay here in the wilderness of Milledgeville to leverage your life post-graduation when people ask you why in the world did you stay in Milledgeville I've gotten that question from the opposite end why in the world did you move to Milledgeville I pray your response will be simple My mission was not done. Christ called me here to reveal Christ to this city, not to just get a degree. The degree 
was cursiary. It was tertiary. The primary purpose for which Christ has called me here is to reveal him. My mission was not done. That through Christ in me, not only Georgia College got to hear the gospel, but the city of Milledgeville. As I went to Blackbird, as I went to Velvet Elvis, as I go to Sunset Fields, that this city knew Christ through me. Professionals, how can you leverage your life to reveal Christ? One is really simple that you're doing now. Keep the Sabbath holy. If you have the means to, in your job, speak up. Say that you are commanded by your God to worship on the Lord's day. But not only in, in the fellow, not only in the Lord's day, but I would encourage you to leverage your life for the sake of the gospel and Christian fellowship. Missional community is not just an tack on an addition for something that we do here. We as elders, we don't do much superfluous. We don't have a lot of time on our hands. We dictate everything as we believe is necessary for your growth. But it also is a great opportunity for you to share the gospel. Here, let me tell you why I want to be with the fellowship because the sin the Savior died and every time I'm with the saints and I'm reminded of that truth. And in fact, we have a great body of believers here that I think you would really enjoy being a part of too. You should actually come with me. It's an easy opportunity to share the gospel. Professionals, I would encourage you to retrain the way that you think as you behold the Lamb, as you're beholden to Him, to be bold, to see your workplace as an incubator for gospel conversation and not simply a drain on your time or your comfort. Your place there for a reason as well. Are you not? Remember back to what Acts 4.20, what the early church said, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. The more you behold your God, the more you're going to want to do that, the more he enlivens your obedience to do these things. Families, open your home, your front porch, your backyard, your life to your neighbors. Because everything you've been given is not your own. You're stewards. Be a wise steward as you're beholden to the lamb because not only has he ransomed your life, but he's given you life to live unto him. Beholding Christ indeed births bold gospel witness. As you reorient your life, as you tell everyone about your Savior. Which brings us to why and how we do this in the first place. Being bold. Verses 32 through 34. You must boldly proclaim the necessity of the rebirth in salvation. The necessity of the rebirth in salvation. John teaches this truth. Join me in verse 32. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John bore witness, his testimony, what he is witnessing to 
is the Holy Spirit's affirmation of the deity of Jesus, but not only the deity of Jesus as he descended on him, but as verse 33 teaches, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now that does not mean a baptism of the Holy Spirit, how we see charismatic evangelicals teach as you're going to fall out in the Spirit and tongues are going to be speaking everywhere and you're going to get hit with someone's coat and fly back five feet. You should look up the videos, they're ridiculous. What rather this means is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is Pentecost. Jesus teaches this truth in John 16 when he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but when I leave, I will send to you the helper, the spirit, who will convict you of righteousness to, to teach you of all truth. John is understanding the prophecy of the Old Testament that there would be a time of refreshing coming, that there would be a time of redemption coming when God would pour out his spirit on his people. And primarily, this is done through salvation as the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart. John was bold in declaring the work of the Spirit in salvation. So must we be. As you go and carry the gospel, do not neglect the work of the Spirit. It is necessary for salvation. He is the one that saves. John 3, 3 through 5, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and catch this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The necessity of the Holy Spirit and regeneration causing a dead heart to beat for God. You must, in your gospel witness, be bold as John the Apostle in John 3 there, as John the Baptist in our text this morning. He's bold. Think about what he is saying here. He's saying, I, I saw the Spirit like a dove come and descend and remain on someone, and he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. If someone came up to you and said that, what would your reaction be? I, I saw a Spirit coming down, and it looked kind of like a dove. I would ask them if they'd maybe been participating in some illegal substances. That's a bold thing for John to be saying, but he knew it was true because God told him that would occur. In our gospel witness, we're not bold with prophetic truth that's already been closed. We're bold in our witness that Jesus is God. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, there can be no salvation. In the co-working of Christ as your sacrifice on the cross, you must go to people and share that truth. They must be born again. I don't know about how many of you guys are going to be having that type of a deep, maybe theological conversation as you're seeking to share the gospel, but it's necessary. It's just as easy to say to someone, hey, you need to be born again, just as Christ did in John chapter 3. What hinders this boldness? We mentioned and alluded to earlier. The first and foremost, I would say, is not relying on the Holy Spirit in the first place. You go out and think you have to be articulate enough. You think you have to have all of the right doctrine set up in order and, and, and knock down all the pens and the dominoes in the right order. It's far from the truth. Christ 
crucified. You must be born again. It's as simple as that. What else hinders bold gospel proclamation? One that I think is very practical for each and every believer is not knowing the word. If faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, as Romans 1.16 teaches us, how do we believe that someone will be saved unless we share the word? Our application of the word is great. Our helpful illustrations in helping them understand are great, but the word, the word of God alone saves. So what fuels that boldness for gospel proclamation? We've already said beholding Christ. If you don't behold Christ and see that you're beholden to him, you'll never be bold. The dependence on the spirit, absolutely. But what I argue is love for God. We said beholding Christ births bold gospel witness. I chose that word birth intentionally because a child does not choose to be born. They don't. It is a natural implication. And in the same way, beholding Christ has a natural implication. It will birth bold gospel witness. You do so by loving your God. The more you know about your God, the more you will see his grandeur. You will see his love. You'll see his mercy. You'll see his grace. And it will captivate your heart. And it will send you out in bold witness. In the final place, you must boldly declare the sole supremacy of Christ in salvation. This is what verse 34 dictates. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The sole supremacy of Christ. John saw the Spirit like a dove. He saw the Lamb of God coming towards him. He saw that he was the one to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he testified. He could not help but open his mouth to what? The supremacy of Christ, that Christ alone is the way. That there are many other things that could vie for your attention to say this is the way. We live in a culture of postmodernism and post-truth where Jesus has become simply a way to heaven and not the way. That flies in the absolute face of Scripture. And in your bold gospel witness, you must be bold enough to say that truth. There is no other way. You must echo the words of Acts 4, 12-13. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Christ and Christ alone. Do you know what the response to that proclamation was in Acts 4? What was the response of the people? Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. It is a bold thing to say Christ and Christ alone. Because what does that say? That says that your good works do not help you. It says you trying to be a better version of yourself is not enough. It says that God is not just God of uh, all people, but a God of his people. That if you were in 
India, your God would not be enlightenment, Buddhism, Islam. If you lived in another country, it is by definition isolatory. It is a bold proclamation. But what does Proverbs encourage us with? Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You are righteous because of Christ. You have no need for fear or trepidation in that gospel witness. You can be bold as a lion because you are already righteous in Christ. You are beholden to the lamb because he has set you free and you are sharing truth. How much easier is it to share truth with someone than if you feel like you have to shape it and maybe not make it? absolute truth. It's much easier just to share the truth. If you're on trial and you are on trial for anything, murder, theft, you would gladly take that stand and say, I'm innocent. Not only to defend yourself because you know it's true and easy. You say, ask me whatever you want. And the same goes with our bold gospel proclamation. We're bold as a lion because the lamb of God has set us free. What do we often substitute in our evangelism for this boldness? When we go out, I don't know if you've ever felt like me. Perhaps you've been there with me for street evangelism and you get that anxiety in your chest and you feel like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share the gospel in this conversation and your hands start getting sweaty and then you can't, words don't come out of your mouth when you're first trying to talk. And in those moments, we're, we're tempted not to be bold because we're not beholding Christ. We're thinking more of ourselves or that person across from us that we're sharing. And so we often substitute for the sole supremacy of Christ through anecdotes or personal stories or our works. Alistair Begg, a, a pastor I really respect, if you haven't seen the clip, uh, ask me about it afterwards and I'll send it to you. He talks about the man on the middle cross when he gets to heaven, the one that, uh, inter, uh, that Christ, being the man on the middle cross, told the thief on the cross that he could enter into eternity. Alistair Begg said it this way, we go awry in our gospel witness for ourselves or as we share our gospel witness, if we ever put salvation in the terms of first person, I did this, I chose, I prayed. Rather, salvation is always third person. He, the Savior, the Lamb of God, he saved, the Spirit opened my heart. It's very easy in terms of sharing boldly when you get to talk not about yourself, but the wonder and majesty of Christ. I would encourage you to do so. This is why Luther said, the majority of our Christian life is experienced outside of ourselves because it is Christ's doing, not our doing. A final encouragement from scripture that I've been praying for myself this week and, and for you as we go out in this bold proclamation of truth it comes from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That comes from a heart not of trying to manufacture bold gospel witness but a heart captivated by Christ. 
It's my prayer that that would be true for all of us, that we would say, woe to us if we do not share the gospel. Woe to me if I go one more day in my econ class and the guy sitting next to me if I don't share the gospel with. Woe to me if I don't call up that family member that I know that doesn't know Christ, that I would be bold, bold enough to perhaps, yes, even lose that relationship with them for the sake of the kingdom. You want that boldness? Behold your God this afternoon. Get away, spend some time in prayer. See what he's done for you. See who he is and just share whatever the Lord's showing you in that period of time with whoever you call. Woe to us if we do not share the gospel in this city. For we're a church holding the treasure that this city so desperately needs. As we close, I want to close with the conclusion of Acts 4. We read in the introduction that they could not help but see, they could not help but speak of what they saw and heard. I encourage you to turn here with me, Acts 4, 24 through 31. This is a prayer that the church prayed. my prayer for us as a church as we go out into the city that we would carry this prayer with us each day this week. Acts 4, 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the, uh, the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We have Gentiles in the city that might plot and rage We don't face the persecution of going and sharing the gospel, being thrown into a jail cell here in this city. But it's our prayer as we go out with boldness that we do see those signs and wonders being salvation, that the Lord saves through fam, through missional communities, through coming in this door, that we would see this line out the door of new saints coming to the Lord's table, beholding their God. This is our call, church. We have every means able to do so, not only because of the spirit within us, because the word in our hands, but because of the people sitting right next to you. Cities throughout scripture were flipped on their head through small little house churches, a faithful, bold, 
men and women who refuse to speak and to say anything else besides the gospel wherever they went. They're beholding Christ's birth, true gospel, bold witness. So I encourage you as you go out in a practical step, whatever catches your eyes, captures your hearts, and will open your mouth. What is capturing your eye this week? Resolve that it be Christ. Resolve that it be Christ. For you will see you are beholden to the Lamb and you will be bold as a lion. Father, thank you that you are the Lamb of God. That you came for us and you, you, you are the one who saves. You've called us into this wonderful work of gospel witness. You supplied the means by which we will be successful when we're afraid. You draw us unto yourself. Remind us that we're your children and loved and forgiven. And equip us and strengthen our feeble knees and our weak hands to go back out into gospel work. Would we do so boldly this week? Would we resolve in our hearts to behold you? All for your name and your beautiful glory we pray. Amen.